Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, this is Father's Day. And because it's Father's Day, just like with Mother's Day, what we try to do is to preach from Scripture a part of the text of God's Word that will be helpful to mothers on Mother's Day and to fathers on Father's Day. And I want to begin by giving the context for our text. Our text is Ephesians 5.33, but let's uh, first uh, pray and then let's look at what comes before it. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the section we're in, in Ephesians, you remember, there are no verses, no chapters. It's a letter. And we put chapters and verses in to kind of keep track. And the section we're in really begins with verse 21. And verse 21 is the source of an awful lot of demonic lies and deception in the last 40 to 50 years. Because a bunch of women and men following them have, uh, have used this verse to say the very opposite of what God inspired it to say. The verse is this. It says, and be Verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's the statement that is overarching. And then what follows down to verse 33, which is our text today, is an opening up of that statement, and be subject to one another. Now, if I were to look at you as a congregation and I I were to say to you, be subject to one another. I'm certain that all the husbands here would immediately come to the conclusion that that means that they should submit to their wives. It says one another. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Not just stupid, but conniving and evil. When the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, he was not telling husbands to submit to their wives. Now, what has been being said for decades now by Wheaton professors and Dallas professors and uh, Gordon Conwell professors and guys like Brian Chapel and Tim Keller and all the muckety-mucks is that the Bible teaches, all right, you ready for this? Mutual submission. Mutual submission. And what they teach, mutual submission means, and it depends on which person, you know, they always have their own sort of personal kind of tweaking of it. But what they really are teaching is that when it says be subject one to another in the fear of Christ, that what it's teaching is that it's tit for tat that this one is to be subject to this one and this one to this one and this one to this one, that everybody is to be subject to everybody else. That's what they teach. Stupid, 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 and evil, evil, evil. 
because by teaching this, they obliterate the rest of the text, which is an opening up of the various positions of obedience and subordination that God has put us in where we are to be subject to one another. In other words, the reason it says be subject to one another is that we have a tendency to spiritualize things in such a way that we can escape obedience. Now, I don't know if you recognize this, but think of, I think of one man who came to this church and explained to me, he wasn't a part of our church yet, but he explained to me that he had a unique calling from God to the life of singleness. He was a young man and he, he, he had very spiritual commitments and honestly, by those commitments, he judged other men. Okay, and the purpose of him saying he had a calling to singleness was so that he could look down on all the other schmucks who were out there dating and and wanting a wife and wanting to, you know. And guess what? He burned. And what does the Bible say? The Bible said it's actually better to marry than to burn. (laughs) You know, the Bible lives... Where does the Bible live? Does it live up in the ozone, in the ethereal, in the cloudy, misty, vaporous, sentimentality, romance, you know, mystical Christian life? Uh, No, it says, actually, it's better to marry than to burn. And the funny thing was, his burning got away with him. You know, his burning actually that he was repressing and saying, I'm called to singleness and I'm not gonna let myself get married, right? all of a sudden his his burning showed itself to be present in a very horrifying way. And that's the last we ever heard about him having a calling to singleness. God humbled him. And so when you have women and men following them teaching that this actually means that husbands should submit to wives and, 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 and... and masters should submit to slaves, and, and parents should submit to the children. Although they never go on and say that, you know, they just stick with husbands and wives, mutual submission in marriage. That's basically what they're after, right? When you hear them say this, realize that they're depending upon you being a simpleton. You, actually, you being stupid. And you wanting the approval of the world you live in, which is completely rebellious. And... And so they teach this stuff. And then when it comes to the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, the Greek word there is kephale, head. And then these same women teach that that word head doesn't mean what 2,000 years of church history have known it meant, which is authority. But they say it means source. For, you know, the... The husband is the source of the wife as Christ is the source of the church. Well, I mean, you could, I suppose, make the case that Christ is the source of the church because he's the source of all things. But I actually think most women would prefer that it means authority. Honey, don't remember, I'm your source. What? You ain't my daddy. Listen, when it says to be subject to one another, 
It means exactly what I mean here when I say be subject to one another. And Carol, you know that means that you're supposed to be subject to David, right? And Joni, that means that you're supposed to be subject to Stephen because he's a pastor over you, right? And, you know, I could keep going. Subject to your dad, right? Subject to your boss, right? We are to submit ourselves to those who are over us. Be subject to one another. And it's speaking to Christians who tend to be real sort of misty, vaporous, and, and mystical. And it's saying, no, 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 just because you're Christian doesn't mean that you can blow off submission and authority. Be subject to one another. And we realize that we're tempted to use that we're one in Christ, you know, that combined with the French Revolution, to escape submitting to authority, you know, bring the French Revolution egalitarianism next to we're one in Christ, you know, and in Christ there's neither male nor female, (laughs) right? And we're like off and running, right? It's like, this is so convenient. I can have conformity to this world and transformity at the same time. I can be in the world and of the world, No, that's not how it works, because the minute you do that, you have no fear of God, because God sees through you, right? And so what it does here is it says, okay, now all of you, be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Remember that, in the fear of the Lord. Be subject to one another. Okay, in the fear of the Lord. Now, having given the generality, it gets to the specificity. And it immediately says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then it repeats it as to the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, as to the Lord. In other words, you have eyes for him. Are you with me? You know he be watching you. Okay? Be subject to one in the fear of the Lord. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay? And then he gets into an explanation of how it all works. And he takes, really, as the overarching theme, the relationship of the husband and wife because that is the relationship of the church to Christ. And so with verse 23, he begins the explanation. He says, for, because, be subject to your own husbands, all right? For the husband is, kephale, is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be, to their husbands in those things in which in which they agree. In those things in which the husband is right. In those things in which there is an arguable position that he holds. That one. But that's not what it says, dear brothers and sisters. 
it says in everything. It says in everything. You know, I always am reading sailing books about the Napoleonic Wars from the perspective of the Royal Navy. And what is the plot of every one of the books? Well, there are a few plots. You know what the plot of everything today is, that woman whoops man. That's the plot of everything. Woman whoop man. And now for something completely different, a man with three, no, woman whoop man. <laughs> you know, it's about as ludicrous as the Monty Python skit, you know. Woman whoop man, you know. Jill, go ahead, have at it, you know. Come on, stand up. Come on, Jill, stand up. John, stand up. Whoop him. And of course, every police officer who's masculine has an even more masculine woman above him. And women are always the heroes. And the plot is to see if he can maintain any of his masculinity. I mean, that's, that's the storyline. You know, the storyline isn't even interesting that woman, what man, woman boss man, woman lead man, woman authority over man. That's so boring today. It's kind of like seeing a movie of a shopping mall, you know. But the, the key is whether the man is able to maintain anything of masculinity. And of course, the masculinity is always completely hackneyed, you know. It's like he breaks rules, you know. That be what man tried to do under oppressive strong woman. He tried to break rule. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, please, let me out of this world. But back in these old books, you get real submission to authority. And one rule is you never answer the captain. Never. You never even so much as speak to somebody else on the ship in a way that contradicts the captain. Why? Because you'll be swinging from the yardarm. You will be executed for mutiny. Why? Well, can you imagine Antifa and BLM and you know, out on a ship, and who gonna lead? The black woman with the loudest voice? And how long will she survive in a ship of men who don't wanna fight actually, they wanna run from the French? Do you, do you get my point? My point is that all through history, everybody has known it's difficult to submit to authority, and that's why the authority has the power of execution. Are you with me? That's what Paul says in Romans. He says, the sword. I signed to Mary Lee yesterday about the recent case, and I said, look, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. 
If your community lives by capital punishment of one another, you will be executed by the law enforcement officers that have capital punishment. And, and I realized yesterday that the whole scheme is, is now to bring to the local policemen precisely what we're working on taking away from the courts, which is capital punishment. And everybody says, well, capital punishment doesn't work and it's racist and all this stuff. And so now law enforcement doesn't work. You know, they oppress, they're unjust. And President Trump doesn't work and he's stupid. And the Supreme Court doesn't work and they're corrupt. I mean, come on, people. Wake up. Somehow, we don't have any authorities over us who are worthy of being in submission to. Oh, isn't that fun? And we don't even have to build guillotines. I was thinking about preaching this this morning. And I was thinking about a marriage of a couple that used to be in this church. And the husband, he was whooped. He was completely whooped. And he was the last man on the face of the earth that anybody would ever say was whooped. Are you with me? This is masculine as they come. He was whooped. How is he whooped? Oh, his wife always knew better than he knew. And especially spiritual things. Think of how many Christian women oppress their husbands by convincing them that they're not spiritual because they don't have flights of fancy and deep senses and intuition and Gnostic crud. You know, I'm in tune with God and I know my Bible and therefore you are not worthy to lead me in anything other than getting the oil changed and buying my car. You know, she'll give him certain areas like, you know, the sandbox. He's a cat. Go to the sandbox. That's, that's where I'll let you have authority. That's where I'll submit to you, over in the sandbox. Do you submit to President Trump? Do you submit to uh, 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 Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi? Do you honor her? Do you submit to John Alberson? Or do you think because you're a Christian when he pulls you over, he shouldn't give you a ticket? Do you submit to Governor? to the mayor. I mean, it's much easier the governor than the mayor, isn't it? Do you submit to your husband? Do you submit to your father and your mother? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of hard, isn't it, Esther? Huh? It's hard. It's hard. All of us have been children. We know how hard it is. Because every mother's stupid and every father's an idiot. 
All of a sudden, she stopped smiling. I called her daddy an idiot. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I'm not really calling your mother stupid or your father an idiot. I'm telling you what the sinful temptation we all have is. And it gets worse as we get older and we reach our teenage years, okay? And so you look at political authorities, judicial authorities, you look at legislative bodies, you look at principals, you look at teachers, you look at husbands, you look at parents, and there is rebellion everywhere. Are you with me? Nobody thinks that anybody is worthy of telling them what to think or what to do. Okay? And so the country is filled with pastors who are prepared to tell you how stupid the authority is on COVID. And how this is statism and how the, we are the authorities in a constitutional republic. And then all of a sudden they want to pull back when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And they want to say, well, this is out of control. But now some of them are happy for Black Lives Matter because they've been trying to tell Christians to rebel against civil authority. And now Black Lives Matter comes along. And even though they're not really in agreement with that, they are in agreement with the anarchy and libertarianism. And, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So you have this weird thing where you have reformed Christians saying, railing against the government with coronavirus, right? And now being happy that Antifa and like BLM are railing against the authority because of racism and the end result is good, which is more rebellion against authority. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, if pastors are teaching this, do you think those pastors have any authority over their congregations? <laughs> no. The reason pastors teach this in the civil realm is because long ago they've stopped disciplining their congregation. They don't believe in authority. They don't believe in discipline. They don't believe that God has given sheep shepherds and rods and staffs to comfort the sheep. Rods and staffs, are you with me? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Right, right? You do know that's in the Bible. And so the pastor says, nah, I'm a nice guy. I'm a hipster. I don't have a rod or a staff. All I have is green pastures and still waters and also a few joints. And into the middle of this comes Father's Day. <laughs> you know? And Tim, would you preach a sermon that's helpful for Father's Day? And it's like, uh, no. But why not, Pastor Bailey? Um, you don't want to really hear a sermon that would be helpful on Father's Day. I mean, come on. Let's be honest here, you know? <laughs> You don't know my husband. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Me, I may not know your husband, but, but I be knowing myself. And I doubt 
thought that your husband is any more respectable than, or less respectable than I am. You know, I know myself, <laughs> you know, right? You realize pastors have to preach from their own sitsum laban, and I'm not talking about pimples. <laughs> okay. It, it's, a, it's a German term that means their own situation in, in life. And so a pastor preaches from his own marriage, his own fatherhood, his own husbandry, his own church, his own session, his own elders, his, his own community, right? And so again, it's Father's Day, and Pastor Bailey, would you preach something helpful for Father's Day? No. Pastor Bailey, we pay you. Oh, okay, so everything comes down to power and money, huh? I don't have to submit to you because you called me. I have to submit to you because you pay me. And how many times I've been told, we're going to stop paying you if you preach like that. Literally. You know, and it's like, and then not literally, but implied. That happens a lot. You know? Wives. What does it actually say? It says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands. In everything. And I'm not smiling because I'm gloating. I'm smiling to show you, I know that it's impossible. I know it's difficult. I know everything in you wants to strain against it and repudiate it and reject it and revolt against it and rebel. I know. I be you. I understand rebellion through and through. But it says in everything. And I know your inclination is going to be to say, well, it doesn't really mean everything. It just means in those things in which I can see that your position is reasonable. And I say, no, you know it doesn't mean that. And you say, okay, I know it doesn't mean that. But it does mean in everything in which if God were here, he would say, you're right. And I say, well, you're getting a little more sophisticated with your rebellion now. You're raising the specter of we must obey God rather than man, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, there are places where you are called to obey God rather than man. Yep. Right? Yep. But honestly, which drawer the towel goes on in the kitchen? Whether the, tooth, the toothpaste has the, has the cap put back on it? <laughs> Really? Really? God has a position on that? Well, God says, you're to love me. And if I want the cap kept on the toothpaste, you should love me enough to put it back on. And then if you love me enough to put the cap back on, then I will submit to you. And we're back at mutual submission. <laughs> you know, where you prove your love by submitting to me. You know, it, it's a way of having more Submission to the text, but coming back, right? But actually what it says in everything, and there are cases where in these novels you do have 
you do have men who actually do go to the captain and disagree with him, but it is a carefully scripted action. And the captain responds to the contrary counsel much based upon the way that the approach is made. Are you with me? Because in the approach of the contrary counsel, where somebody under him is going to disagree with him, that approach demonstrates incredibly submission to authority. It is absolutely possible to demonstrate submission to authority in arguing with your husband. Because what you'll demonstrate is, it's your decision, but I want to tell you I have some thoughts. And then he either accepts them or doesn't. Or he says to you, no, I don't want to hear your thoughts. And why would a husband say, no, I don't want to hear your thoughts? The husband would say that because he has seen a pattern of resistance to his leadership. And so in this particular case, he is not going to encourage you to think higher of yourself than you already do. And you say, yeah, but he should take it on the merits of the case. And my response is, he is. The merits of the case convince him that the precedent is rebellion. And so the particular doesn't matter. <laughs> you know. And so he disciplines you by not listening to your contrary arguments, even though they're very good in this particular case. That's his prerogative. Do you understand me? Now, why am I yelling? Well, because some of you men need to get this into your head. If you constantly cultivate rebellion in your wife by being uxorious, U-X-O-R-I-O-U-S, and you say, I've never heard that word, and I say, there's a reason. It's because everybody's uxorious today. What does it mean? It means overly wife-pleasing. <laughs> now, I know we don't have any uxorious men in this church, right? Well, actually, we do. I won't look at you. I'll look away. The husband is the head of the wife. As the church is subject to Christ, so all the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Now, God knows the perversity of the male heart. And so immediately God says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ, so he uses the same illustration. The church submits to Christ. This is helpful to the woman as she submits to her husband. But Christ loves the church, and this is helpful to the man as he's told to love his wife, right? The Bible is incredibly fair and just because it has its origin in God who is perfectly fair and just. Not as we judge it, but as he judges it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Christ do this? Well, it says so that he might sanctify her, he sanctified her. Having cleansed her, he cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So 
So husbands ought also, so the illustration of Christ in the church, so husbands ought also, also like Christ in the church, he loves the church, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church. So you see the parallel, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We're always looking at God. You know, every single point in here, we have eyes for God. Do you see this? From the very beginning, the whole way through, we're not to be living for one another. We are to be living for God. We are to have our model be Christ and his love for the church. We are to have as a model the submission of the church to the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. We have eyes for Christ. And he adds this, he says, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So he's weaving back and forth between the relationship of the bride of Christ to her bridegroom, Jesus, and the relationship of the husband, the relationship to his wife, right? And remember, the bride is not you. The bride is the church, okay? And then he stops and he says, you know, he's gone, he's, as Max would say, he's waxing elephant, about this whole thing. You know, he's gone in the church, Jesus, the church, submission, love, sacrificial, sanctification, cleansing, you know. And he almost gets to the marriage feast of the Lamb, right? You can feel him going. But he reins himself in and remembers what he was doing. And he says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and his church. And then he says this, and this is our text. Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as his himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay? So you feel the whole thing, right? You know, it's just opening up. Hey, listen, just because you're Christians doesn't mean you don't submit to those who are over you. Okay? Wives, submit to your husbands. Hey, listen, the church submits to Christ. And you husbands, you love your wives. And this is your standard of love. After all, no one ever hated his own body. When you love your wife, you love yourself. You know, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. I mean, you know, you leave the world and you come to me. And you're, you're washed. And you become a part of my bride. The tr- you know, and he's just, blue, 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 blue. this is the way that the Apostle Paul teaches, Right? And then he stops and he uses the Greek word chi. And here they translate that word, nevertheless. Now, why do they translate it as an adversative? Because you feel that nevertheless is like, it's not just sort of, it's a speed bump, nevertheless. You go, woohoo, nevertheless. Nevertheless, what? Well, Nevertheless, I know I'm waxing elephant about the church and Christ and the bride and all this good stuff. Nevertheless. Now, why would he do that? The reason he would do that is that all of us have a tendency to get real spiritualized and to think that we can leave behind submission. Submission. 
He gave himself up for her. And he washed her with the word and the water. And it's so glorious. Nevertheless, pull it down, pull it down. Nevertheless, 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 listen, God, my father used to say he felt evangelicals thought that as soon as somebody prayed the sinner's prayer, they should just die and go to heaven. But you know, God is pleased to make us holy. And God is pleased with the difficulty of that enterprise. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And if you think you can be holy without submission to your husband, uh, Wrong. You can't. We live here. Do you understand this? We don't live in the clouds. We live down in the dirt. And right there, the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives And it says that wives are to respect their husbands. But that's not what the Bible says. And immediately everybody's eyes go back up to the screen and you say, well, well, yeah, it's what the Bible says. And I say, "Uh, no, it isn't because I know Greek. And you say, are you saying I can't trust my English Bible? And I'm saying, generally, yeah. 99 times out of 100, yeah, but you can't trust it here. You say, all right, smarty pants, then what is the word? Do you know what the word is? I'll give you a clue. The word is a Greek word that we use in English, the root. Okay? Do you need another clue? Nobody over 25 can take a guess, but everybody under 25 can take a guess. The word means fear. The word is fear. Now I'm not gonna come close enough that I will take out my mask and, and, and put it on. I'm staying 12 feet from everybody, although I got a little close there. But here you go. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm 12 feet away. All right. Now, does anybody under 25 want to take a guess what the word is? When I tell you it's a Greek word, fear. Anybody? Go ahead. Just shout it out. Yes, that's right. Phobeo, phobo. Homophobic. Fear 
of sodomites and lesbians, homophobia. Agrophobia, fear of public places and leaving the home. He has a phobia. Wives, phobeo, your husband. Now you know why all the Bible translations changed it, right? Because it's so nice to have the translation say respect. Because then all you have to do is say, but my husband isn't respectable. Right? Haven't you all heard that? What husbands really want is to be respected. The husband, a man, needs respect. Right? Well, if my husband were respectable, I would respect him. Right? You know? Actually, it says fear. So have at it. Well, if my husband was fearsome, then I might fear him. But my husband's such a wimp. I can take him with both hands tied behind my back. How am I supposed to fear a guy who's such a wuss? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do you know that the only Bible version that's, that, that, that gets anything close to it is actually the King James, and it says, reverence to revere her husband. But do you know what the NASB has? It has a footnote with the word, and if you look up the footnote, it says literally, fear. <laughs> and I always think, when they tell me what it literally means, and it's helpful... Can they please give me the literal word? You know? It's like, isn't it helpful to you as women to be told, fear your husband? Isn't that more helpful than respect your husband? Because there's no place to run and no place to hide. You know? Fear your husband. Uh, Okay. Now listen, we're out of time, and I have one other thing to do. Why would the Bible tell you as wives to fear your husband? Is it because they're fearsome? No, actually. Why would it say it? Do you remember that verse 21 says, be subject to one another, what? In the fear of the Lord. Do you realize that as Christians living as God designed the world, all right, are you with me, that we are always to fear those put in authority over us? Not because they're right, but because God is to be feared. And it's his authority that has been placed in our civil authorities. It's his authority that has been placed in the elders and pastors. It's his authority that's been put in your mother and father, Esther. Okay? God's authority is in your mom and dad. And it's his authority that is in your husband. And so you fear him because he stands in the place of God. <laughs> okay? Are you with me? Would you please be with me? Please, it's hard. Why would I preach something that was easy? Any idiot can do that. Let's just 
preach scripture because that's hard. I'm going to read some Calvin to you and then we'll be done. So Calvin has a sermon on this. And I know some of the language is stilted, but it's so helpful. Listen to him. He says, again, with reference to the wise, because they are so loath to bear the yoke that God has put upon their shoulders, because they hate bearing this yoke that God's put on their shoulders. In the other passage, St. Paul put them in mind that God is the author of marriage and that it is he who has set down this condition that the wife should be subject to her husband and allow herself to be ruled by him as by her head and bear him reverence. Okay, yeah, it's hard, and that's why he says God's the one that set it up this way. For a woman will, now listen to this, women. <laughs> don't worry, I don't judge you for this, but it's so sweet. This is five centuries ago he's writing this. He says, for a woman will always find enough reasons in her husband to despise him. If he has any goodness, she will work hard to hide it that she may have occasion to say, why should this man have preeminence over me? For he's no more able to rule than I am. And we know what pride there is in men and women, for everyone thinks himself more able than his fellow. This is Black Lives Matter. This is Antifa. This is reformed railers against COVID-19. Everyone thinks himself more able than his fellow. The wives, therefore, would like to govern and have the mastery. That is why St. Paul tells them that they must remain in the state in which God has put them. That is to say, in subjection. And that they must not stand investigating what is in their husband, to find out whether their husband is worthy to exercise authority and have superintendence. Don't investigate your husband. They must consider that God has ordained this relationship and they must obey it without contradiction or reply. They must not inquire, why this and why that, in order to find some excuse to exempt themselves from obeying God and his commandments. It is necessary for us to give ear to him, and each one of us must, without arguing, receive what he commands us, okay? Thus, you see how what is said here about the fear and subjection that wives owe to their husband is to be understood. This teaching is clear and familiar enough of itself, but yet for all that, how is it practiced in the world? So it's clear, but how is it practiced in the world? This is five centuries ago. He says, people would gladly plead the excuse of ignorance to get out of the performance of their duty by saying this is too high and too hard to understand. When it is said that husbands love their wives, is there need of any comment to expound what the Holy Ghost meant? <laughs> no, right? The thing is clear enough in itself, and every man knows in himself that he understands it rightly. <laughs> right? We all know what it means, right? Right? Come on, men. Stop being so... Come on. Nod your head. Yeah. Know what it means. Yep. 
Then he says, but if you look at the love that men bear to the wives, you will find scarcely one among a hundred who could not find in his heart to back down and who does not entertain some wandering fancies. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, yep, okay, all right, okay. One, only one in a hundred who doesn't entertain wandering fancies. Come on. The women also, <laughs> you ready for this? Are so lighthearted that they could find in their hearts to be remarried 30 times in a year. And how does that come about? Even because they don't have an eye to God who is the author of marriage. Oh, I love the Bible. Because the Bible knows me. And the Bible knows my wife. And so please, stop thinking you're going to bring racial justice to this world. We have a lot to answer for as whites in this country. A lot. The roots of black fatherlessness today go back to slavery and back to Africa. And we have responsibility for the fatherlessness of the black community. We, you and I. There is such a thing as systemic racism. Having said that, these commands are irrespective of race. The black woman is to fear the black man. The white woman is to fear her husband. Do you see this? And when I said black man, I meant husband. And you women cultivate fear of your husband. And if you have difficulty with it, fear God. And see your husband standing in the place of God to you. It doesn't mean that he's inerrant, omniscient, any of that. It just means that he has the authority. And one last thing, you women cultivate in your children towards you and your husband fear of your authority. All right, Jody.